Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I'm excited today. You know, our guest today is not only a great guest and a podcaster, but most importantly, he was a 911 dispatcher for well over a decade, approximately 13 years. And he's probably going to take me to task that in our intro of all of the great public safety professions we mentioned, we don't mention 911 operators. So maybe we'll have to correct that. Uh, but his name is Ricardo Martinez II. He is also the creator and host of Within the Trenches podcast and the founder of hashtag I am 911 movement. Ricardo, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. It's, it's definitely a, a joy because mm-hmm. you are the first 911 operator we've ever had on. And I will certainly say that that, that particular profession is just as hard and as stressful as any other public safety profession. So we definitely want to talk more about that. In fact, let's jump right into it. You were a 911 operator for over a decade. What was that like for you? What were some of the positives that you took from the job? You know, starting out in the beginning, so this was probably about, uh, I think it's around 2001 um, when I started out. I had no no experience or anything. The only real experience I had, and I say real experience, but it, it was from TV. So um, <laughs> Rescue 911, that was, that was my experience. That was my favorite, one of my favorite shows. You got Shatner there, you've got all these different types of stories uh, that's going on. But of course, you know, they don't, um, they don't give you everything that's going on. Like they show the different pieces. Of course, there's a good outcome. There might be some suspense and all, but, uh, um, you know, and then they meet each other. And that was probably one of the coolest things. Yeah. So that's the only thing I really had going into it um, other than some uh, retail management experience. So I kind of had that customer service experience already that you kind of need when you're taking phone calls, especially when people are upset with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I get in there and um, I had my interview. I didn't hear from the, uh, from the center. From, actually, it was a small police department in Florida is where I started. And um, I didn't hear from them for about a, I don't know, about a month or two. So I thought, you know, it was all over. You moved on. <laughs> right. You're like, yeah. all right, I guess I don't have the stuff for this. So, you know, maybe J.C. Penney is hiring. Or, you know, maybe <laughs> exactly. I can sell some craftsman tools at Sears. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was thinking, you know, that's, that's as far as that career was going to go. And then, you know, one day my grandmother runs into the room where I was, I was napping and she woke me up and she was saying, uh, you know, the, the police are here, but she's telling me this in Spanish. She's yelling at me. And then she, she asks me what I did. And I said, Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything. At least I don't think I did, you know? <laughs> and so then I, I go out there and uh, it's the chief of police. 
And uh, he, because I, I didn't live far from, from the police department. So he's there. I asked him, you know, what, what was going on? And he asked me if I still wanted the job. And I said, yes, of course. I thought, you know, I screwed the pooch somehow in my interview that I, <laughs> I did something wrong. And he goes, no, you know, the background um, is pretty extensive that we have to do. Yeah. And you checked out. So um, I thought that, you know, I would start in a couple of days, maybe next week, because it was towards the end of the week um, already. And uh, so I, I asked, when do I start? And he goes, well, you start tonight. And I wow. just kind of stood there and he goes, you still want the job, right? And I said, no, 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 I do. Let me go to sleep. Because so we, the way they had it set up there is we switched um, schedules every two weeks. So mm -hmm. I was going in for midnight shift, which was going to be uh, 10P to 6A. Mm -hmm. The following two weeks would be uh, 6A to 2P and then 2P to 10P. Every two weeks, we changed like this. When you were on midnight shift, you stayed there for like a month, I, if I remember correctly. So I go in that night, I meet my trainer, and uh, I, I observe him take a 911 call. And then he turns and he says, okay, you're next. What? <laughs> wow, trial by fire, man. I was That was yeah. going to be one of my questions. What kind of training did you get? Yeah, or, or did they just, they just hand you a phone and say, hey, welcome to the job. <laughs> Start right, answering, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just threw me to the wolves. And I remember asking him, I said, how, I mean, really, this is, this is it? And he goes, this is the only way you're going to learn is if yeah. you, you jump in and start taking these calls. And luckily, from what I remember, that first call that I took that night was a, it was a misdial. Now, this is a small police department where I had maybe 12 sworn officers. That's including the sergeant lieutenant and the chief. And then there were only a few of us dispatchers. It was eight-hour shifts at a time. Um, so I did, however, end up taking a 40-hour beginner's dispatcher call taker um, class like a week later. But that first night, man, cool. Oh, that was something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely being tossed into the fire, man. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because yeah, well, did they did they at least you know from a training perspective, did they at least hang with you for a while and listen oh, to how sure. you took some calls? You know, okay, yeah. You, okay, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, what of <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this because. Um, a former guest and a good friend of mine, Christy Warren, who does uh, uh, Firefighter Deconstructed podcast, mm -hmm. uh, always gives me a hard time for watching 911. And she says, you know what? I can't even watch the commercials for that show. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, at least on that show, when there's somebody, when there's a new hire, <laughs> you see a veteran 911 dispatcher working with the rookie on the call. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had my trainer there with me. Um, he, uh, he was maybe in his early to mid 70s. He was a he was a well-seasoned uh, dispatcher and call taker. And <laughs> I, I, I remember specifically when we were training, I, I, I would always get there about 15, 20 minutes early just to get briefed on everything. And he would come in and he would rip the door open and he would yell, boogity, boogity, boogity. <laughs> and I remember thinking, is he stroking out That's my or father. something? <laughs> yeah, and, and I was like, what, what is that all about? And then I remember seeing a, uh, a NASCAR commercial like a month or two later and they were doing that. And I thought, oh, he's not 
he's not convulsing when he comes in. It's it's part of because he was a huge NASCAR fan. So, dude, dude, you try you try to teach me something, or are you having yeah. a stroke? What, what's what's, yeah. what's going on here? It was hilarious. He would do it all the time. Such a such a good dude. Like he was he was stern and everything, but at times, but he was a really he was a really good guy. And you know, he he was with me throughout that whole time, showing me all the different stuff, like. We had this huge radio, and this is 2001, but this radio is enormous, and it's got like a gooseneck microphone, Mm -hmm. and uh, I would have to punch in like a five-digit code to make the tones go off for fire rescue that was, again, this is a small police department, so there was some older equipment there, but I'm grateful for that too because I got to learn on all of that, that technology it definitely made me appreciate the newer technology that came in when I ended up leaving from from uh, from Central Florida where I started to. You didn't, you didn't I, have to and, do the rotary anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, actually, you you mentioned rotary when I ended up leaving. Um, when I moved back home to Southwest Michigan, is where I'm originally from. Um, I ended up working for the county central dispatch that I grew up in, the county that I grew up in. And I was training uh, someone, and because I know what that pulse sounds like, it actually helped in in dispatch. So this is one of those positives that that came out of it as well. Is uh, we've got a domestic call that's going on, and I heard I was listening, and I heard that pulse, and my trainee went to hang up, and I said, no, 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 no. I was like, don't hang up, don't hang up. And she goes, why? They they hung up. I need to call back. And I said, just hold on a minute. I said, did you hear that pulse? And she goes, I. I didn't hear anything. And I said, okay, just hold on just a second. I said, they're going to pick up the phone again to, trial di- or to try to dial 911. And we waited for m- maybe a minute and um, you hear the phone pick up and you know the going to dial again. And I said, say something, say something. And she ended up saying something and the person's like, oh, you're there. And we continued the call. When we were done with it, she goes, how did, you, how did you know that that was going to happen? And I said, well, one, I'm old. And two, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the pulse. So I, I told her that, you know, as a kid with the, with the phone that had that, you know, rotary dial, the, the pulse there, if, one, if you're on the phone call, and I know this because my friend and I used to prank each other, if one person stays with the line open, right. that line stays open. It doesn't disconnect. Yeah. And then like one time one of their parents picked up and I'm like, ah, and they freaked out. And, you know, of course I got in trouble, but <laughs> that's, and so I told her that story, you know, and she goes, wow. She goes, I would have, I would have never known that. Okay. So, you know, we were able to get help out there and it was, it was a save for us. So it was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't thought of that. And I'm old too. I'm in my fifties. I haven't thought of that in a long time. Of not <laughs> hanging up and staying on the side. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, moving back to, you know, where you, the County you grew up, did you ever get a call and, and have somebody ask for services and go, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, the uh, the interesting thing, you know, of course, like like you're saying, when you when you end up working in a place that you grew up in, people that you know, like the whole west side of the county, I knew pretty much everybody on that side. I could picture certain things which really helped out. On the east side, eh, not so much. I'd have to go for a ride, a geo ride, a geographical ride to, to see a lot of those areas uh, and landmarks and stuff that people would mention. But there were times where I would take phone calls from family, from friends that I went to school with. 
And if it were friends that I went to school with and they asked for my name and I said, Ricardo, they would never know that it was me because in school they knew me as rich. So, and my family knew me or knows me as Richie. So, but with family though, I would say who I was, you know, I, I would say, I, I remember my aunt called in once because she thought uh, someone was breaking into the house next to her. Actually, what it ended up being was the person who was out there with the flashlight was actually an officer. He was doing uh, um, extra checks because that house, they were on vacation. So they had signed up with us to have extra patrol. But I had told her, you know, that, no, it's, it's Richie. And she goes, oh, thank the Lord. And the, it, so it made her, you know, comfortable, but also you know, you get some of those calls where like when my grandmother passed away, I took that call. So there's, there's calls like that as well that come in. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to teeter that line on whether you reveal yourself or you just, you don't. <laughs> you just roll with the program. Right. Yeah. Because you, there's that possibility that the person, um, and, and mostly with like friends that I knew from high school, Either they're going to feel comfortable and tell me everything that I need, or they're going to clam up because now it's someone that they know who knows their business. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Do you, getting a little bit off the, the subject line, but still obviously still on it, um, either looking back at that 70-year-old professional that trained you originally or, or the work that you did for well over a decade, um, one of the things that I hear in public safety is the phrase empathy fatigue that you know, eventually, you know, whether it's a cop out there or uh, somebody on a 911 desk or anywhere in between, even ER nurses, I've heard this from that you get this empathy fatigue because you've seen so much. And you just, you know, you just, it's not that you don't care. It's just that that's kind of shut off. Did you witness that at all? Is there, or is there any truth to that even? You know, I've, I've heard the same thing. There have uh, been stories that I've heard of the, of the same, you know, type of nature and all with the, uh, the trainer that I had, um, you know, like I said, he was a little more stern with, I mean, just even in his voice and explaining certain things. But when he got on the phone, that, that firmness in his voice it was more it wasn't you know like that jaded or not really right. caring or whichever it was more um of just trying to keep control of that call and get them that help out there so with him um never really saw that with him or any of the other dispatchers that i worked with because when i first started um working at the uh the county that i grew up in uh there in allegan county in michigan mm -hmm. i i started out with when I was done with my training, I started out with a group that had been there for years, and they were the most they were the coolest women I could have ever worked with. It was like working with the Golden Girls, man. It was awesome. <laughs> they were they were hey, amazing. Betty White, what, who are you talking to now? <laughs> yeah, but they could talk smack with the best of them. But oh, I, 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 I learned a lot from them, and even you know, from all the years that they had been there whenever I heard them talk, it's just like in a firm manner or, or anything like that. Um, again, it was more of that, just trying to make sure that they could keep control of the call, but get all that information as easy as possible to help everyone involved. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, yeah, including the first responders, they want to know mm-hmm. what what the heck they're they're running into. In fact, um, as I've said on this show before, one of one of the many hats that I wear is I uh, I cover true crime for Podcast Magazine, so I watch and listen to a lot of true crime. And nice. there was there was one particular story. I think it was on Dateline last week where somebody had gotten murdered, but somehow the nine one one operator got confused, thinking it, that it was a heart attack, and so reported it that way out to to first responders. And police are showing up thinking that they're <laughs> that they're going to fight a heart attack victim, and they're like there's blood everywhere and glass. <laughs> and this yeah. isn't a heart attack. <laughs> so yeah, to, your, to your point, it's kind of important to know what the heck is going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. One state we definitely have covered is Colorado. Rocky Mountain Law Enforcement Federal Credit Union has been serving members of Colorado law enforcement and their families since 1938. They're more than a bank. They're a community united by the thin blue line. For more information about Rocky Mountain Law Enforcement Federal Credit Union, go to www.rmlefcu.org or call 303-458-6660. To find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, You're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals and you deserve better. And, you know, sometimes when those calls come in, you know, there's, and and this is especially true for when you're listening. So on our end, when calls come in and all you hear is screaming, you're, you're trying to piece together this puzzle in your head of everything that is going on and it can go either way. So either the way, like, you know, like you're saying, like on Dateline, how they had put that out there or everything that we're hearing, the crashing, any sound, like we have to listen to everything in that environment of what's going on without anyone actually telling us, piece it together, put it into, uh, into the CAD, you know, uh, computer aided dispatch, that narrative so that the officer who's going out there gets it on their, uh, on their laptop. It could be, we could be imagining something that's way worse than what it is. You know, they could get out there and it could have been an open line. And, you know, it was uh, a couple with their dog, a puppy or something. They got out of control and they're, you know, playing with them and they knocked over the phone. But what we're hearing is all kinds of chaos. So it's, it goes both ways, you know? (laughs) Well, but I would assume, I mean, the, we, we love, we have an affinity for all uh, public safety professionals, but mm-hmm. we, we have a little bit of deeper history with law enforcement in the POCUA and every, every good cop that I've ever talked to always said, you know what, you know, give me all the information. And then let me ascertain, you know, how heavy this is. If it, if it's if it's less than heavy, if if the actual scene is less heavy than what you're telling me, I could deal with that. If I'm right. going into a situation thinking, all right, this it's a heart attack, 
and we've got a crime scene and I've got to clear the house. Now all of a sudden that changes the whole dynamic. So oh, for you know, sure. I, I would think too, you know, if you're hearing somebody on the phone that is in distress for a domestic dispute or something like that, and you hear two or three voices in the background, that's got to raise your radar up a little bit that, all right, we've, sure. we've got, we've got possibly, you know, multiple perpetrators or, uh, or, or a family incident, which frankly is even worse. <laughs> yeah. All of that goes in the narrative. Every, I remember taking calls like that and, you know, everything that I would hear, especially if it was an open line, even if it was an open line where there's no one screaming or anything like that, sometimes those are the more creepy calls yeah. because you get a call that, uh, you know, it's an open line and then it's, it's hard to explain. It's almost like you're cutting out everything else that's in the room so that you can focus in on that call to hear what is going on because you're just putting in like an unknown situation and just typing in the narrative, everything that you hear and, and what's going on, looking into, you know, the database to look up that phone number or address if it pops up, if it's from a cell phone and hopefully there's some information there, but you know, you're adding all of this information uh, as much as possible. So just like, as you're saying, when you go out there, um, you know exactly what is going on or at least as much as we know, because that's, you know, what we're hearing as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is really interesting given that you're the first 911 dispatcher that we've ever talked to on this particular show. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, heck, heck with our audience. It's just interesting to me to keep digging <laughs> into, to, to that particular job and the, and the nuances of it. Uh, but to, to switch gears slightly, let's talk a little bit about your podcast uh, sure. with uh, you're the host and the creator of Within the Trenches. And you've had 911 calls from not only the United States, but, you know, Australia and I think the United Kingdom, definitely other countries. Um, you know, tell us more about the podcast. And actually, you know, is it 911 in Australia and the UK? Is it some other number that you press? Because I, I always thought 911 was more of a U.S. Uh, solution, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, 911 is, is used in a... In you know, a few different places, you know, Canada is 911. I believe Mexico uh, finally adopted uh, 911 is theirs as well. Um, Australia is triple zero. Uh, New Zealand is uh, triple one. And then uh, in the UK, it's either triple nine or one one two. So there's a bunch of different ones out there. Um, but, you know, the, the start of, of the podcast, uh, so the podcast is called Within the Trenches. Correct. And, um, when I started this, it actually started from me being burnt out in 911. This is like six years into the, um, the, dispatch, the last dispatch center that I was in. I loved the job, loved it. There was just a lot of county politics that were going on. We were so short-staffed, which everyone is still. I mean, this is, this is to now 2006, I think, 2007, when I'm at uh, Allegan County. And uh, we were, we were short-staffed enough that no one could take any vacation time. No one. We were constantly getting um, uh, forced in for overtime. And if you volunteered for that overtime, your name would go to the bottom of the list. But it was bad enough that when we would go in for that um, volunteer time that we had taken, we were getting forced in for more shifts as soon as we got there. 
that's how bad that was. It was getting burnt out, man. Oh yeah. And so I, I was trying to figure out how to, <clears throat> excuse me, how to rekindle, you know, reignite that love for, uh, for 901, like just that passion for, for this industry and all. And it's when I went back to school. So <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're now going into like about, you know, 2010 and I'm in school and the podcast started as a college project. Mm -hmm. So every project that I did in school and college, I did public safety because what I noticed um, was that people just, they don't really understand what 911 is all about. The types of calls that are taken, that I'm not just there answering the phone, that there is way more that is going on. That when someone calls in on their worst day, that is pretty much my everyday because we're taking all these calls. Um, I might be the one or I am the one rather that is calm, focused, getting them the help that they need. But in the back of my mind with some of those calls, I'm freaking out Yeah, with the caller too. But it's my job not to show it and to be able to move on and continue sometimes to the very next call. So that was one of the things that I wanted to do was to bring some awareness to what 911 dispatch and call takers do on a daily basis. So in school, um, in my digital storytelling class, they wanted us to tell a story. We had to do either animation or still pictures, but we had to add music as well as uh, a story, narration to it. I'd already been playing around with the idea of sharing dispatch stories. I got a couple of coworkers to help me out with it. And I just asked them a few questions that I still work with today with the podcast. And it was um, how you got into dispatching, your best call, your worst call, and why you do what you do. And I put that together in, I think, maybe a two and a half, three minute video. And I submitted it as my project. And I ended up getting an A, which was awesome. But... <laughs> I was going to say, if you got anything less than an A, I'm, I'm disconnecting the record button right, right? here. And, and I'm throwing the episode into, into the garbage file. <laughs> yeah, right. But you got yeah. an A, so I'll continue talking to you. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, got an, I got an A, uh, which was great. But more importantly, the fact that it kind of blew their mind. The, they being the professor and my classmates. And I thought, I think I got something here. So they had us blogging different things. For me, it was therapeutic to share my stories. I was one of those dispatchers who held in those calls for a long time, which I found out was not the right thing to do uh, because I you know, kind of turned into an ass at home because I yeah. wasn't able to get a lot of this out. So I'm, I'm sharing these stories in blog form. And then I end up um, getting introduced to podcasting and fell in love with the form of storytelling. And I thought, if I can bring other dispatchers on and have them share their stories and their voice, it'll be that much more powerful. And if it's therapeutic for me, it might be therapeutic for them as well. So that's how all of this came about. I mean, when I started out the podcast, it was my laptop and just some headphones. And then I finally was able to get some money to get this, this speaker that had uh, the ability to add uh, microphones to, and I did episode one. <laughs> and it doesn't sound that great, but it ended up getting a lot better. So, you know, yeah. it started out that way, you know, humble beginnings with a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign crowdfunding. Yeah. And then a company that I ended up working for later on, uh, who's a, a 911 Solutions uh, company, they found me 
from the podcast and have been supporting me ever since. So that's how nice. all of that started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, as my colleague and friend Steve Olsher, who started Podcast Magazine, will mm-hmm. always say, uh, "Episode one is always better than episode none." So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I I I've I've been podcasting since 2015, and I do. Uh, and it's only on YouTube. It's it's called the Best of Cool Culture Corner. It's a uh, a takeoff of a podcast that I started basically on a whim in 15, 16 called cool culture corner. And mm-hmm. I deliberately go back to all the early episodes and try to apply it to, you know, the unrest and pandemics and things that we're dealing with today that we didn't four or five years ago. And I have to listen to those early episodes and every single time almost I'm like, God, that was bad. Did anybody have? <laughs> I, I, you know, I look at the listens. Like, did I even get two listens? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to go back, right, and kind of yeah. reflect on where where you've been, how far you've come, and just everything in between. Like, man, this yeah. has been a, an amazing experience. Thank you for watching part one of Within the Trenches, our conversation with Ricardo Martinez II. Part two of Within the Trenches will air next week at the same time. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.